Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Hey, good morning. Welcome to LifePoint. We're thrilled to have you here today. Uh, I'm here. My mask is here. I'm making sure my, you know, my stand's all good and we don't have any issues there, so we're covered. I hope uh, you're thrilled to be with us today. Thank you, Pastor Derek. Thank you, Pastor Trevor and the team for an incredible morning of worship. You know, I want you to think about something. You and I serve a God who is the creator of the universe, almighty God, creator of the heavens and the earth. And yet this same almighty God desires to have a relationship with you and I. In fact, there's nothing more important to God than spending time with you, to be in relationship with you. In fact, as we looked at last week, you and I were designed, we were created to be in this intimate, dynamic, vibrant relationship with God. In fact, we discovered it's in our very DNA. God created us to be in that relationship with him. And so what we're doing is we're looking at this very unique series looking at the Jewish tabernacle. It was designed and created by God himself. So we want to know as much as we can about it. And it gives us incredible insight into how you and I can grow closer to God. In fact, a study of the tabernacle is actually one of the most fascinating studies in all of Scripture, primarily because ultimately it points to Jesus and and what God's going to accomplish through Jesus on the cross. And it lets us know what kind of relationship with God we're to have with him. So I want to dive in and I want to look at the tabernacle and, and, and see how it shows us how to enter in to a close, vibrant, dynamic relationship with God, how we experience his love and his joy and his grace. Uh, we'll put on the screen there a couple pictures of the tabernacle we looked at last week. I just remind you, it's 150 feet long, 75 feet wide, and, and there's multiple items in this tabernacle. And God says, when you enter the tabernacle, I want you to enter the right way. And the first thing God wants us to notice when you enter that tabernacle, as you come into the courtyard through the only entrance that's on the east side, the first thing you will notice is the brazen altar. The brazen altar. You'll notice that. You see the pictures there on, this, on your screen. Immediately, once you enter in, you are going to smell the meat of the sacrificed animal cooking on the altar. You're also going to hear the, 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 the noises of the other animals as they're being prepared to be sacrificed. I got a glimpse into what this was like uh, over 20 years ago when I went to India. I was, went on a mission trip, and while there, I had an opportunity to go to one of their temples, not a Jewish temple, but one of their temples, where they actually still sacrifice animals. And it was fascinating to watch that and to see these animals, to see them lined up, to hear them, to you know, the smells, everything. I got to tell you, it was bloody. In many respects, it was gruesome, but I knew it represented far, something far greater than just the animal itself. Well, this brazen altar was seven and a half feet by seven and a half feet. It was four and a half feet tall, and it was uh, made of acacia wood, and then it was covered in bronze. Now, here's what's interesting. In much of Scripture, bronze is, is associated with judgment. When you and I enter into a relationship with God, it starts at this bronze brazen altar. It's a place of judgment. 
And at the altar, God says this. He says, I want you to be honest. I want you to be honest about your sins. I want you to own up to your sins. You can be forgiven of those sins. You can enter into my presence, but it begins with sacrifice. See, that's the only way to get in. But also, based on the different types of sacrifices that would occur at the altar, it's also a place of, of not just sacrifice, but of total dedication to the Lord. It's also a place of thankfulness to God who provides us a way to enter his presence. And of course, it's also a place of great cost. When you and I come before God at the altar, Scripture teaches us we don't come empty-handed. We come with a gift. We bring a sacrifice. It's going to take planning. It's going to take preparation. It would cost us to stand at the altar of sacrifice. In other words, while God's, and you've heard this phrase before, while God's grace is free, it's not cheap. It's precious. It costs us. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, we have an interesting story there. King David wanted the judgment of God to stop on the people. And so God showed him a piece of property that was owned by a man named Aruna. So David goes to Aruna and he, and he tells him, hey, I want to buy your property so that I can build an altar so I can make a sacrifice to the Lord on it. And, and, and Aruna looks at him and says, no, 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 you're, you're the king. You're King David. There's no way in the world I'm selling this property to you. It's yours. You can have it for free. And so what does David do? David says, no, no, I'm not going to, it's not going to be free. I would never come before God and offer him something that doesn't cost me. I would never do that. I can't come empty handed. That would cheapen the sacrifice. It would cheapen what God has done for me. Now, there were a few different items that you could bring to God as a sacrifice. But primarily, you brought an unblemished animal, the pride of your flock or herd, the one that was the most valuable to you. Now, for those who were poor, who didn't have a flock or who didn't have a herd, God wanted you to bring something else. He wanted you to bring two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. No, 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 I'm not just kidding there. Yeah, two turtle doves or a pigeon. You see, that was the grace of God right there. That was God saying that, that I understand that some are, are, are so poor that they can't afford something from a flock or a herd. And so I'm going to provide an animal that's affordable even to those who are poor. But what's the point? You would not come before God empty-handed. Worshiping God, a relationship with God, it starts at a place of sacrifice where there's a cost. Now, we know, just jump ahead real quick, Jesus' death on the cross was, of course, the final sacrifice, which ended sacrifices specifically in this way. So the question for you and I today is, what does our sacrifice look like now? For us today, what does our gift to God look like today? Romans chapter 12 gives us a pretty clear picture of that. And it says this, it says that you and I, that we are the sacrifice, that Paul calls us a living and holy sacrifice. What does that mean? What does that mean that our lives are now this living, holy sacrifice? Well, think about this. If you make some type of sacrifice, what would be true of that sacrifice? Well, first of all, you would know that it's a sacrifice, right? It wouldn't just, it wouldn't just pop up on you all of a sudden. It's not an accident. 
you know it's a sacrifice. And number two, it's something that cost you, right? It's something that actually cost you. Whether that's time or energy, or whether that's money, a position, a stance on something, maybe it costs us our ego or our pride. Whatever it is, if you sacrifice, if you make a sacrifice for something, then you have made a sacrifice because it cost you in some way, shape, or form. Now, I got to tell you, parents who you have kids in swimming, you understand what sacrifice is all about. I mean, you really do. I mean, think about it. These parents, for those of you who don't know, these parents, you know, they'll get up at 4 a.m. They'll travel hours to, to go to a meet. They'll sit there all day to watch uh, their kid jump in the pool for swim for 20 seconds, jump out, sit there the rest of the day while the rest of the team goes, and then they pack up and go home. It's an all-day affair for 20 seconds. I got to tell you, parents, you're amazing if you do that. I mean, you really are. That is sacrifice. I don't love my kids that much. We didn't do swimming. You know what I'm saying? It wouldn't have worked for us. I think about some of you when you think of sac or when I think of sacrifice, you might sacrifice by taking care of a dying spouse and you understand what sacrifice looks like. Or, or maybe you have aging parents or dying parents and you move in with them or you move or they move in with you or the time and energy that takes, the sacrifice that takes. I think about some of you who maybe you have sacrificed a professional career because you said, you know what, the most important thing for me right now in this season of our life is I want to be there for my kids every moment that I possibly can. And I'll put that on hold. I'll sacrifice that. We think about athletes. Athletes are constantly making sacrifices, right? To, to be in the right kind of shape, to, to be able to do what it is they do. The NBA right now, they're in the, you know, what they call the bubble and not being able to be with family and get outside of their bubble. And I know we don't have a lot of sympathy for them being in their bubble. They're athletes and they make a lot of money, but, but there's still a, a form of sacrifice. I'm one of those guys who geeks out on the Tour de France. I love it. And uh, this morning at our service, we had three other people out of, I don't know, out of 250 people who watch it. So I know this isn't relevant to any of you, probably maybe one or two of you who watch it. But man, those athletes are, uh, they make, an incredible sacrifice so that they can ride at the level that they ride for the distance they ride, for the hours they ride. They beat their bodies into shape and do everything. It takes sacrifice to, to, to be in the Tour de France and even to win the Tour de France. We understand sacrifice. And as Jesus followers, there might be behaviors or attitudes or actions that we no longer do or participate in. Why? Because you sacrificed that. You gave that up to be a Jesus follower. It might have been important to you at one point in your life. That might have been who you were, what you were about. But then as a Jesus follower, you began to find out what it was that pleased God. And as you found that out, you discovered whatever that was for you in the past, that, that wasn't consistent with being a Jesus follower. So now you have a different focus. Now you have different values. Now you have different priorities. Now you have different guiding principles in your life. So now as a living and holy sacrifice to God, there's behaviors, actions, and attitudes that you don't do, but also there are behaviors, actions, and attitudes that you now do do. Why? Because that's your way of honoring God. That's your way of worshiping God. That's your way of drawing close to God, being that living and holy sacrifice. 
We don't come before God empty-handed. It costs us. We bring our gift. Scripture tells us our gift is ourselves. We offer ourselves as a holy and living sacrifice to God. Now, during the time of Malachi the prophet, the Israelites were not sacrificing to God in the proper way. And they were asking God, God, we don't understand. We're worshiping you. You say you want to be close to us. You say you want to have a relationship with us, but we don't sense your presence. We don't know where you are. We don't sense your love. What's the deal, God? What's going on? And I want you to notice what God says, starting in Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. It says, The Lord of heaven's armies say to the priest, A son honors his father, and a servant respects his master. And if I am your father and master, where are the what? Type that in. Where are the what? Type it in. Where are the honor and respect I deserve? You've shown contempt for my name, God says. But then they ask, they ask God, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? See, God says, if I'm your heavenly father and, and, and you're going to worship me, then you do that in a way where you honor me and you respect me, just like you would your, your earthly father or even your earthly master. Now, I got to tell you, uh, this idea of honor and respect was really, really important to me when I was a student ministries pastor. It was one of, our, one of our values, and, and we taught the kids, we told them, it's important that you be respectful to the leaders and to one another, and if you're not, and we get, made it clear what it looked like, if, what it looked like not to be respectful uh, of others and to show honor to others. I said, if you violate these, we're just letting you know, we're going to throw you out. No, we really did that. And, and, and we let them know, we want you to be there. We love you. We're going to have a dynamic relationship with you. We're going to build a relationship with you. We're going to have incredible fun. You're going to grow in a relationship with God. This is where you want to be. We'd love to have you. But if there is an honor and respect, we'll toss you out. Why? Very simple. It is very, very difficult to help someone. It's very difficult to be in relationship with someone when there isn't honor and respect. I think you know what I'm talking about. If there isn't honor and respect, it's hard to be in that relationship and to move forward and to make progress. Now, the students, by the way, some of you are wondering, you know, was that just smoke and mirrors? Did you just say that? They always wanted to know if it was really true. And so every single ministry I was in, we had to toss out one person. That's all it ever took. Once we did that, they knew it was real and for real. And so they, they kind of knew the boundaries. And so we never had those issues again. Teachers, you know what I'm talking about. And by the way, let me just say this to all of our uh, people in our church who are our teachers. And you guys have such an incredible hard job right now. It is so difficult what you're doing, trying to figure out this new season and teaching our kids and and, and there's so many distractions and so many challenges for you. I just want to tell all our teachers, we honor you. We respect you. What you're doing, the job you're doing is incredible. So thank you. Thank you. In fact, right now, can we just uh, thank our teachers there on the chat? Just clap, you know, uh, thank them, say thank you. Just give a shout out to them right there on the chat. Let them know. Don't have it just be one person. Seriously, a bunch of you. Clap, chime in, clap in. Our teachers deserve our honor and respect, especially in this season, for what they're trying to do. But teachers, think back. Think back to the olden days, back when kids had to actually meet in class, right? You remember that? 
one of the primary reasons your job was so difficult to do was the lack of honor and respect that kids would show you as a teacher. Now, how did it get that way? I know there's a lot of factors involved. You don't have the ability to discipline on the kids these days, and I get it. There's all sorts of factors involved, but kind of keep stepping back. What's one of the big reasons? Well, I think it's because we as a nation, we demonstrate so little honor and respect and reverent fear of a holy God. And so consequently, we as a nation have moved further and further and further away from God and the values of God, and we are just reaping what we sow in so many areas of life today. Which is why what Scripture says about honor and respect is so important for you and I to grab a hold of. In, in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Fear, by the way, that's respect, that's honor, that's a holy, reverent fear and honor and respect of God. It's the beginning of what? Type it in. It's the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1, 7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, why don't you type that in? What is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Man, if we want to have knowledge and wisdom to know how to lead, to know how to guide, to know how to direct, to know how to move forward as a country, to know how to make decisions. Man, it starts with having wisdom and knowledge. And where do you get that? You get that by turning to God, having a relationship with God, honoring and respecting him and having a healthy, reverent honor and respect and fear of him. That's when we get that knowledge and wisdom. God says, I want to be in relationship with you. I love you. I have an incredible life for you. And you can be close to me. We can have that closeness. And that begins as you and I begin to offer our lives as a living sacrifice with God that's demonstrated in the way that we honor and respect our Heavenly Father. Now, what does or doesn't that look like in this passage that we're looking at in Malachi? I want you to notice what it says, Malachi chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 7. It says this. It says, you have shown contempt. This is uh, God talking. You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on what? The altar, right? And then the people ask, God, how have we defiled our sacrifices? God says this. You defiled them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. How does that happen? When you give blind animals a sacrifice, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to the governor and see how pleased he is with those leftovers, says the Lord. Verse 9, go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? Ask the Lord of heaven's armies. Oh, how I wish one of you would shut the temple doors, or in our case, the tabernacle doors, so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord. I will not accept your offerings. Are you catching it there? God very clearly says, if you want to enter my presence, if you want to have a relationship with me... And I want that, God says, and it'll be incredible. But if you want that, the way that you show honor, the way that you show respect to me is that starts by giving me your best. You see, God wants us to give him our best, to give him the best of our love, 
The Bible says to love God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. That we don't love God half-hearted. We don't just be a, a fan of God, but we're actually a follower of God. That we don't put everything or everyone else ahead of him. But God is first. God is primary. Loving him with all of our heart. So I just want to ask you, do you honor and respect God by giving God your best? By giving God your best, the best of your love, the best of who you are, the best of all that you have to offer. You know, in Genesis chapter 4, we have the story of, of Cain and Abel giving their offerings to God. And, and maybe some of you know this story, but in Genesis chapter 4, verse 3, it tells us that in the course of time, in other words, when it was convenient, that Cain brought, and notice what it says. What did he bring? Type it in right there. He brought some fruit. Say that word out loud wherever you're sitting right now. Say some. He brought some fruit of the ground. And we know contextually, because of what's coming next, we know for Cain, this wasn't his best. This wasn't really a sacrifice. This was simply convenient. This was simply a Oh, here, God, here's, a, oh, here's some of my fruit. Oh, God, you know, here's some of my, I actually have some money, some change in my pocket. I'll toss it your way. Scripture tells us that God did not accept his sacrifice. And then it went on into the next verse, Genesis chapter 4, and it said, Abel, however, brought, and type this in, say it out loud even as you're typing it. Abel brought the what? Brought the first and the, type it in, say it out loud, brought the first and the, type it in, the best portions of his flock. And God was pleased with Abel's offering. Is God getting your best? Is he getting the best of your time? Is he getting the best of your energy? Is God getting the best of your talents? Is he getting the best of your treasures or your, or your finances? Not when it's convenient. Not you know, if there's some leftovers, not if there's, you know, oh, here's some, but your best coming from a place of sacrifice. That's how you and I begin to have an incredible relationship with God. Malachi chapter 1 verse 12, it goes on and it says this, God says, you dishonor me, you dishonor my name with your what? What does it say? With your actions. Bring contempt, you, by bringing contemptible food, you are saying it's right to defile the Lord's table. But you say, it's too hard to serve the Lord. And you turn up your noses at my commands, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Very interesting passage. You mean to tell me we have to put some energy and effort into worshiping God and seeking God? But that's too hard. Man, it's too hard to get up, uh, you know, and dedicate and devote time to reading God's word. It's too hard to pause and to pray. It's too hard to, to get up for church. It's too hard. I mean, some of us, you know, we love this online thing and it's great. We have it. And we're going to keep doing it. And we're going to try to do it the best that we possibly can. Some of us are digging this, you know, and when it's time to go back, some of us are going to be like, oh, man, I don't know. I, I like doing the online thing. Or for some of us, it's too hard to serve God. I have other things to do. It's too hard to give God the first percentage of my income as an offering to God, as a sacrifice, because I have other priorities that I want to accomplish with that money. God says, 
I want to have a close relationship with you. And I want to begin that relationship by you giving me your best. There's a cost to enter in. Now, if you were alive during this time of the tabernacle, there were different types of sacrifices that could be made. I would encourage you this week, read Leviticus chapters 1 through 7. Um, to get more in depth about all these different sacrifices. I, I, I don't have time to run through all of them, uh, but let me just point out the main, main one, which was the primary point of the, of the bronze, brazen, bronze brazen altar. But your primary sacrifice that you brought before God was called the burnt offering. I would go to God, uh, to the bronze altar. I would go there with my best animal, with my first animal, my first fruits, the best of what I had, and I would come and I'd, I'd say to the priest, I, I have my burnt offering for my sins. And the priest would burn that sacrifice until there was nothing left. It was a symbol. The burnt offering is a sacrifice for my sins. I acknowledge my sins. And that's that coming before God humbly. And it's also a sign of totally dedicating myself to God. I'm 100% committed to God. I'm not holding back. God, here I am. Here's all that I am, including my sins. And I need to be forgiven of these sins. If you're you even on your phone and, and you're on the YouVersion Bible app, there's some more notes in there. We're going to jump through those right now. But a few notes in there that, that show you some of the other different sacrifices. Again, they're in Leviticus chapters 1 through 7 that you could read this week. But God's letting us know something. He's letting us know that I'm a holy God. I'm a righteous God. I want to have a relationship with you. But that demands a sacrifice. A sacrifice must be made for all of our sins. The sins we commit that we know of, the sins that we commit that we don't know of. The sins from the past, the present, and the future. And that's how God wants us to come. With a heart of sacrifice. And God says, when you come that way and you offer me the burnt offering, you humbly confess and you make the sacrifice, your sins will be forgiven. Now, here's the problem with this sacrificial system. You and I constantly sin, right? And every time we sin, we need to go to offer another sacrifice. We had to do it again and again and again and again and again. I mean, can you imagine walking, you know, you just make a sacrifice and you're leaving the tabernacle or later the temple and, and you run into someone, you bump into someone and, and, and you're angry all of a sudden or upset or you say something you shouldn't have said. And you're like, oh man, I got to go back and make another sacrifice. And so, I mean, it could just be the yo-yo thing, man. It's like sin, sacrifice, sin, got to make a sacrifice. And so you can see the sacrificial system was inadequate. It wasn't sustainable. It was temporary. It was very difficult to live in a state of being forgiven. But God had a better way. I want to encourage you to read Hebrews 9 this week. I mentioned Leviticus chapters 1 through 7, reading those, but especially read Leviticus, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 9. It gives us a great explanation, explains in much more scriptural detail what we're talking about today. And what you and I will discover in Hebrews chapter 9 is that the tabernacle and all that it represented, the whole sacrificial system, was actually meant to foreshadow something that was coming. You see, God had a plan. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 10 says this, God says, I'm going to establish a better system. And God's plan 
You and I know on this side of the cross, God's plan was to give his one and only son who would come in the fullness of time and he would come as a one-time sacrifice that not only wipes out all of our sins that we committed in the past, the ones we know about and the ones we don't know about, it wipes out all of our sins we're committing now and all of our sins we commit in the future. God says, I'm not going to make you keep sacrificing over and over and over and over again. My son is the final sacrifice for your sins. It says this in Hebrews chapter 9, it says, With our own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he, Jesus, entered the most holy place. And what's that word? Type it in. Once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 goes on and says, Christ was offered, what's the word? Type it in. Christ was offered what? Once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. You see, Jesus doesn't have to keep dying over and over and over and over again. He's the final, perfect, the only perfect sacrifice. It's a one-time death for all. Now, why does God do this? I love how Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. He says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are formerly far Oh, excuse me, you who are formerly far off have been what? I want you to type this in like with passion. I want you to say this out loud with passion. You who are formerly far off have been what? Say it, type it. You have been brought near. Did you catch that? You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. And that's what God wants. He wants to be close to you. He wants to be near you. He wants to have a relationship with you, to be in an intimate, dynamic, vibrant relationship with you. And the question is, will you come? Will you come? Will you enter in? I got to tell you, I'm so grateful for God's final sacrifice in Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful that every time I sin, I don't have to jump on an airplane, head back to Israel, you know, and find the tabernacle or the temple and, and, and sacrifice for my sins. I'm thankful that God has a better way, a greater way. Man, I'm grateful that that bronze, brazen altar is done away with because God had a better plan. And that was his son would be the final sacrifice. But I'll tell you this, the bronze brazen altar, it tells us how God wants us to come before him. God wants us to come humbly. God wants us to come honestly, admitting our sins, confessing our sins, being willing to be 100% devoted and committed to him, offering our lives as a living sacrifice. That's our response to God sending us the perfect sacrifice, the perfect gift in his son, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood so that you and I could be forgiven, so that we could be restored, so that we can enter into a dynamic, vibrant relationship with our heavenly father. Paul said it this way in Galatians 2.20. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. This life that I do live physically in the body, I now live by faith in the Son of God. Man, can you say that? 
that you're a living sacrifice, that you no longer live because of what Jesus did for you, that he died for all of your sins. Your sins are paid for, they're covered, but you got to receive him as your Lord and Savior. Will you enter in to that relationship with with God right now? I want to give you that opportunity. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we come before you this morning desiring to be in a relationship with you. And so, God, hear our prayers right now. So right where you're sitting, standing, walking, working out, whatever it is you're actually doing right now, God's inviting you to enter in, to focus on this moment with him. And if you want to enter in and you want to draw close to him, I'm going to invite you. For those of you who know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm just going to invite you to to re-confess your faith in him. And for those of you who don't know Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity. This will be your first time. If you say, I'm ready, I want to have a relationship with God. I want my sins to be forgiven and I want to enter into heaven when I die on this planet. If that's you, you pray the prayer also. And you will receive the gift of eternal life. So I'm inviting all of us to pray something like this. Say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving me so much that you would come to die, to be the sacrifice, the final sacrifice for all of my sins. So as best as I understand, whether I've been walking with you for 20, 30, 40 years, or whether this is for some their first time, as best as I understand, I commit my life to you, Jesus. I give my life to you as my Lord and as my Savior. And I'm choosing to be 100% devoted to you, committed to you. I no longer live, but you live in me. And so Jesus, here's my life. Take it. I'm committed to you. I want to be in relationship with you. Thank you for giving me this gift of forgiveness, this gift of eternal life, and this opportunity to have this intimacy with you, this vibrancy with you. Thank you, God. Your love is all that I need. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.